0: Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 54, Anti-Capitalist Ahimsa. Ahimsa. Hello and welcome back to the Awareness Offerings podcast. I'm especially excited to be here with you this week because we had a bit of a hiatus last week as I got settled in with school. I just entered into my final semester of grad school and my final clinical internship, so I had some things to do to get my system set up and get settled in with school and start to basically build my caseload as I see clients through this internship. So, And I also had a haircut, honestly, on (laughs) uh, Thursday of last week and every to get everything done that has to be done in a day during my work week the the my time is scheduled pretty intentionally and if there's one extra thing it's like everything else is just out of whack so all that is to say there was a lot going on but I'm really excited to be back here with you this week so welcome As always, if you'd like to support what's going on here on the podcast, you can do so by rating, leaving a review, subscribing, any of those actions on whatever platform you're using to listen. And if you feel called by sharing either by word of mouth or on social media, all of those things just help other people find the podcast. And as always, I am incredibly grateful that you've found the podcast and that you're here. So here we are. We'll go into our traditional opening ritual together of singing the sound of OM one time. Om is said to be the sound that contains all other sounds. It's also the sound of consciousness, which implies that consciousness is the container in which everything exists. So, we're trying to kind of broaden our lens to that much expansiveness and awe and wonder and curiosity. And that's one way we can think about what it means when we sing the sound of Om. You can do this by singing out loud with me, or you can always, always listen as a practice. And if you're coming along with me, you might get your body into a comfortable position you might choose to close your eyes here or just take a soft gaze by looking down your nose or toward the floor just sort of turning the awareness toward yourself for a moment as a way of inviting in that sense of consciousness from this place if it's available you might take a deep breath in through your nose and an exhale through your nose just clearing some space and then we'll take an inhale for the sound of them. Thank you for joining me in that practice. And now for this week's discussion. So I'm sort of getting back up on a soapbox in a way on in this episode and I'm hoping to do it in a way that is aligned and aware and open and fair and all of that. But I haven't done it in a minute to my understanding. If for the last several weeks and even months, I feel like the world and the events we've all been asked to contend with have been so intense that I've just been focused on sharing tools to either, you know, help us stay resourced and settled and taken care of as much as possible during these influxes of events or to just, you know, remember ourselves and our practices in the midst of chaos. That's kind of what it's been like. Um, It's been probably since last year that I really went on like a yoga fueled, I don't want to say rant, but but had a real focused um, mission as far as something I really wanted to speak about, especially in the realms of of social justice and kind of social issues and how those intersect with yoga. But I'm back and I'm doing it. <laughs> and I'm kind of coming out of Uh, A proverbial closet here. Although, if you follow me on social media, I've I've you know alluded to this. I've I've. I've, It's not that I've never said it before, but I haven't really come out and say it in a or come out and said it in a full-throated way. I am an anti-capitalist yoga teacher and yoga practitioner. I am anti-capitalist. That is. That's me. (laughs) And the reason it feels like coming out of a proverbial closet, not to minimize the coming out of the, you know, actual closet that happens when folks own their sexuality and that experience of queerness. uh, But the reason it feels somewhat under that umbrella, although not at all the same or as intense or even as risky an experience at all, but the reason it feels somewhat under that umbrella is just because. We live under a system of hypercapitalism here in the United States. And I grew up in the South, um, in a small town for, for high school and for college, um, which in some ways can amplify. I, it, I don't have any like scientific evidence to back this statement up, but it sometimes feels like that hypercapitalism can be amplified um, by the culture of small towns and yoga in the west and in the united states is not immune to the fact that everything we do in this country is under the umbrella of hypercapitalism and yoga has sometimes been you know warped and misappropriated for capitalist aims right it's like how do we how do we monetize this how do we commodify this how do we turn out as many teachers from quick expensive teacher trainings as possible and so on and so forth i could go on forever about that but all that is to say Everything we do is invested in hypercapitalism in the United States because hypercapitalism exists to feed itself. It is most invested in its continued existence. And so to sit here and say I am an anti capitalist is, it carries an element of, you know, I, I say risk, but I say it really lightly because I know that. Overall, my safety is likely not at risk. My resources, my well-being are not at risk. But I'm aware that it probably pisses some people off to hear anybody say I'm an anti-capitalist. Especially, you know, people who I, what are the right words for this? People who um, are, who were kind of formed under the same culture that I was in in small town U.S., southern U.S.A. um, And haven't really taken a moment to investigate what they really get out of the hypercapitalism that we all live under. I'm just aware that, that it's a, it can be a charged thing to say. That was a lot of words to say. I'm aware that it can be a charged thing to say. But I'm an anti-capitalist yoga teacher, and I'm going to sit here for you and make the case today about why anti-capitalism is yoga, specifically ahimsa. Ahimsa is one of the principles of yoga. Yoga is an eight-limbed spiritual system. We typically know one of those eight limbs very, very well, asana. The yoga poses, the physical practices, um, our hyper-capitalist world has decided that asana is the most marketable, and so that's the one we focus on. And a lot of um, sort of A lot of Western traditions don't really pay as much attention and energy to the other limbs, but yoga is eight-limbed. The poses are one of them, but actually the first two limbs, as laid out by Patanjali, who wrote the, the Yoga Sutras and delineated the limbs of yoga, the first two limbs are these principles, sort of the do's and don'ts of how to be in the world if we want to be in a way that is aligned with the path of yoga. And my spiritual teacher, Swami Jayadevi, always says that we have to receive and live these with self compassion and non attachment. So we're not using them to, um, to like repress or, you know, repress ourselves or to, to judge or shame ourselves. They're, they're guideposts, but they exist. And ahimsa is one of them. And it means not harming, doing no harm. And so. I'm here today to make the argument for why anti capitalism is an ahimsa practice. And the first thing I want to say in that vein is that I'm not against anybody getting their money. I'm not against money in general. Anti capitalism is not anti money. I am not against anyone having the resources they need. I'm not against anyone, you know, being successful. I am not against anyone living in a way that is beautiful and pleasurable and supportive. I'm not against anybody getting their money. I'm not even against like the idea of a free market, although I think that has become really warped over the years um, as capitalism has become more and more of this like really intense machine um, that influences everything we do in the United States and um, really is our central thesis (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, But what I am against when I say I'm an anti-capitalist is the type of capitalism that commodifies everything whose end goal is to say, how can we take your very existence and make a product out of it? And while we do it, let's see every single thing. Let's, let's find out exactly what we can make a product out of on the way. Let's try to make a product out of everything, including your very existence. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that's what I think this hyper-capitalist system that we live under in the United States aims for. You know, the other day I was caught in a YouTube hole. Um, I had had this kind of big day where I went to a memorial service. And so I had a lot of emotion to feel, a lot of big feelings. And so I think I got home and just needed to put that down for a bit, also known as dissociate for a bit, which I think in small doses and if, if done with awareness is not necessarily a horrible thing. So I ended up in a YouTube rabbit hole and I was watching... Don't even ask me how I got here, but I was watching videos from these like early 20s influencers who vlog, who make these vlogs, these video blogs about their lives. And if You, like me, have seen the very vastly underrated early 2000s film Josie and the Pussycats. You'll know what I mean when I say that the reality that movie promised us has come true. That movie is about capitalism and product placement and the insidiousness of the two of those things. And we're there. If you watch these YouTube videos from these younger influencers... We are there <laughs> because it is product placement after product placement after product placement after product placement, all made to look like it's just real life. None of it is um, explicit. There is no transparency around it. There's no, the user or the, the viewer is not in on the fact that this is an ad. Um, it's all meant to look like, oh, I'm just going about my day and I just happen to be sitting here talking about, you know, AirPods and Amazon and. Little Caesars Pizza and Target and Publix, Um, it's just massive product placement. And as I watched and took that in the other day, first of all, I felt disgusting um, and I felt as if I had to take a shower afterward, and I did. But I also was really struck by the fact that it's like we're there. We are really, we have reached the place in this hyper-capitalist society where we're making our entire existence into a product product. So that's the type of capitalism I'm talking about here is how can we commodify absolutely everything? Nothing is sacred. Nothing is left untouched when it comes to what needs to be a product, what needs to be sellable, right? Including yoga, including this sacred practice that in the West has been somewhat distorted into an exercise because that's the most marketable. So I'm talking about capitalism that commodifies everything and that is extractive extractive, as in its goal is to take something, no matter what it is, whether it's a sacred practice or a living, breathing, multifaceted, you know, precious human being and extract as many resources from it as possible for the purpose of making money, to extract as many resources from it as possible for the purpose of making money. That's what extractive is in my understanding. And I'm talking about that kind of capitalism. So all that is to say, I'm not against people getting their money, especially because I'm aware that there is a way to have resources and move in a way that is regenerative. Not extractive, but regenerative. As in pouring the resources back in. Just like we would be regenerative with the earth by tending to the earth and taking care of it pouring financial resources, you know, back into ourselves for the purposes of self-care with the intention of being sustained in order to make sustained change in the world, pouring resources into the people that we work with, into the communities that we're in. I'm fully aware that we can have money and use it in a way that is regenerative. And I think so long as we have the intention of doing that, there is nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with having money. So just want to be clear about that. But I'm talking about hyper commodification and extractive capitalism here and the reason that i'm even inspired to speak about this this week is because i was listening to another podcast about the kardashians and i i don't even know i'm afraid am like is this like a beetlejuice thing where if i say their names their lawyers are going to come for me i don't know but <laughs> the way that this all relates to yoga and spirituality is that i have been a longtime listener of a podcast called Conspirituality, in which three gentlemen essentially sit down each week and dissect the ways that the spiritual community of which I am a part is incredibly vulnerable um, to dangerous conspiracy theory um, that has been made manifest in a lot of different ways over the last few years as a lot of violence and harm. And they had a guest on their podcast, I think sometime last year, Amanda Montell, who's the author of a book called Cultish, the Language of Fanaticism. And I was really compelled by her interview. And she had just started a podcast of her own called uh, Sounds Like a Cult with her friend and comedian, Issa Medina. And they sit down every week and they essentially dissect all the different things in our society that have a cult following. And they assess sort of how culty each one is. So I heard Amanda on the Conspirituality podcast and then I was, then my cat is meowing up a storm in the background, just heads up. That's what's happening. (laughs) Anyway, I heard Amanda on Conspirituality and began to listen to Sounds Like a Cult and I just got to their episode on the cult of the Kardashians because what they do is they analyze each, you know, kind of group or, or, um ideology or phenomenon and they usually do an interview with a guest about it and then they rate it on levels of cultishness and this conversation about a reality tv show became a really deep nuanced conversation about capitalism and wealth because in some sense, I think that reality TV is an example and one of the first most prominent examples of making actual humans into commodities. And the Kardashian family has ridden that train to its very conclusion and are still going. Um, and so I, it got me to thinking about, you know, wealth and capitalism, which is actually something I think about a good bit because we see the effects of capitalism everywhere. And one could say we suffer from those effects everywhere. Um, and so I started to think about this idea of, of wealth and capitalism through my own lens, which is the lens of, of yoga and spirituality. And it became really clear and it's really quite simple and straightforward. I don't think I'm saying anything particularly revolutionary or that I'm the first or only person to say this, but that you know, anti-capitalism is ahimsa, is, is in alignment, is a practice of the yogic principle of doing no harm. And the reason for that is, and actually before I state my reasoning, I'm gonna point us toward... A passage from my very first mindfulness teacher, Vietnamese Buddhist monk and master Thich Nhat Hanh, who left his body last year, but was my first introduction into living a conscious life through his his words, his books, his teachings. And I still hold him to be very sacred in my heart. So in his book, Peace is Every Step, He lays out the 14 precepts of the order of interbeing, these 14 principles that essentially lay out for us how we can practice interbeing, which is the idea that whether we want this to be true or not, the fact, the reality is that we inter are, we are constantly interbeing with everything in existence, The words I'm saying right now into this microphone that I'm speaking into that's hooked up to this computer um, as I look at this book that was made from trees that were nourished by sunlight, they're all connected. Because, you know, the computer couldn't exist without the people who put it together. The book couldn't exist without the sunlight that nourished the trees that made up the paper. So everything is connected. And that's this idea of interbeing. And in this book and other places, he lays out these 14 principles. The fifth of which is, do not accumulate wealth while millions are hungry. Do not take the aim of your life, excuse me, do not take as the aim of your life fame, profit, wealth, or sensual pleasure. Live simply and share time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. One more time, do not accumulate wealth while millions are hungry. Do not take as the aim of your life fame, profit, wealth, or sensual pleasure. Live simply and share time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. So a few things there. First, I just want to offer gratitude to my teacher for those words and for all of his teachings. Thank you, Thich Nhat But a few things there. First, do not accumulate wealth while millions are hungry. I'm going to come back to that one because that's kind of the central thesis of my whole thing here. But also do not take as the central aim of your life, you know, fame, material wealth, sensual pleasure, etc., And I still think that leaves us room to have the lives we want to have to a certain extent, so long as the money, the sensual pleasure, are not the central aims, the reason. Instead, we're living simply, whatever that might mean for us, because it's going to mean different things for each of us. And I think that speaks to this idea of being regenerative with the resources that we have, using the resources to have our lives and to pour back into helping because that's what we're here for essentially but then if we think about this central principle of do not accumulate wealth while millions are hungry essentially this among other things among other reflections has led me to this really strongly held belief that extreme wealth extreme wealth as in you know, you know what extreme wealth is. I'm not talking about people being financially successful and buying the houses they want to buy and, you know, having what they want to have. Although there's conversations to be had about all those things. And we always have to be centering or, or aware that we're not centering that as the aim, the central aim of our lives. But I'm talking about extreme wealth, extreme, extreme wealth, billionaires, people hoarding wealth, essentially hoarding resources, At this moment in our history, with the state of the world as it is, with so many people in need and so many disasters happening all over the place, and with just a handful of people with just vastly more resources than everyone else, extreme wealth is inherently unethical. It just is. As it was laid out in the 90s, even you know, 30 years before we've reached this really kind of wildly cataclysmic point in our history in some ways, Thich Nhat Hanh laid it out. While millions are suffering, extreme wealth is unethical. Hoarding wealth is violent. It is a form of violence toward our earth, toward our fellow beings. And so anti-capitalism, then the inverse is nonviolence. To inherently reject the idea that the purpose, our purpose, the purpose of our existence and our systems and our society is to extract as much as possible and to commodify absolutely everything for the purposes of making the most money possible. To inherently reject that principle and to orient our thoughts, our actions, our communities, and our practices away from that way of being that's nonviolence. That is ahimsa and that's why i'm an anti-capitalist yoga teacher thank you for coming to my pod talk <laughs> so now we'll practice as we always do because what we've been taught by the masters by my beloved teacher Thich Han, and others is that living simply moving regeneratively and rejecting commodification and extraction as violence these are spiritual practices yogic practices practices of non-harming so we're going to go into our practice practice is the the practice space it is the ground upon which we can sit and strengthen our muscles our capacity to live simply to have a regenerative mindset to reject extraction and commodification we can practice those skills internally so we have we have them as tools and resources as we move into the external world that's why we practice and now we're gonna practice is the point in the Awareness Offerings podcast where we go into experiential practice. We sit for some contemplation and meditation. So if you're not in a position to safely or comfortably sit right now, you might just pause the podcast and come back when you have the space, right? If you're driving or mowing the lawn or something. Um, But if you're ready now, the first thing I'm going to invite you to do is find your way into a comfortable seated position. As I often say, that is any seats at all. We want to be nonviolent toward our own bodies, which gives us the blueprint toward being nonviolent in the world. So take care of your body. Sit however, whether that's the classical position of legs crossed, sitting on your meditation cushion or your blanket or your pillow on the floor, or whether you're in a chair or on your bed or your backs against the wall, or you have extra support under your legs or your legs are in a totally different position than crossed, right? You just want to take care of your body and find any position that allows you to lengthen your spine, the central channel of energy in your body. the place where all of your energy moves and your nervous system lives. And when there's space there, we have more space to connect and to you know, attune to our own energy and to settle our own nervous system. So finding whatever seat empowers you to sit with a long spine and then perhaps choosing to settle into that by closing your eyes or taking a soft gaze down the tip of your nose or toward the floor. However you choose to, we're just trying to kind of reduce the external stimuli so we have more space to be fully present in our internal landscape. And as we work to do that, you might begin a practice of breath awareness here. You don't have to do anything with your breath or change anything about your breath. You just begin to witness it, to observe it like you would observe a tree or a piece of art, just is. Just noticing that it's happening as you breathe in, Noticing that it's happening as you breathe out. Just inviting your mind, your body, and your focus into one place. Centering. And already here we practice living simply as opposed to grabbing on to everything we think we've got to have in terms of commodities and resources and material things. We live simply by saying all I need and really all I am right now is my breath. This force of life and awareness moving in and out as I consciousness witness it happening. Just allowing yourself to touch simplicity for a moment, even if it doesn't feel super straightforward. Even if it's like, oh, there's a moment where I feel really connected to my breath, and then you notice your body, or you notice a thought coming. All of this is part of our simplicity because we can notice it as well, as well as we notice the breath. Especially the thoughts, which are really tricky, and they like to convince us that they are so good at grabbing our attention and taking us out of the moment. But we can let them come in, and go just as we do the breath, not grabbing on. Grabbiness, attachment, is associated with this idea of extraction and commodifying everything. So we can practice in this simple way: non-attachment, apari graha, another one of the principles of yoga philosophy, by not grabbing on to the thoughts, knowing that we don't have to grab onto anything. We can be as we are. And the idea that everything must be extracted implies that we are only as valuable as what we can be as a resource to something outside of ourselves. And the idea that everything must be commodified implies that we're not good enough as we are unless we are a commodity. So the way that we turn away from those narratives is to remember in simplicity that we are enough and whole and complete as we are yoga in some translations means wholeness and yoga is a practice of wholeness which is why it's kind of a radical tool for remembering our wholeness which can be an anti-capitalist practice so i'm going to invite you here to bring some awareness to the center of your chest a few inches over from your physical heart This is the energy center of your heart according to yoga philosophy, your spiritual heart, a space of emotional digestion, a deep well of compassion, love, and gratitude, a place of centering and wholeness. And so we'll use a a mantra, an affirmation, and we'll direct it at the heart, just giving our attention a place to go and land so we can really stay centered. I'll invite you to breathe in, imagining your breath traveling through the center of your chest. I am whole. Breathe out through the center of your chest. I am wholeness. Breathe in through the center of your chest. I am whole. Breathe out through the center of your chest. I am wholeness. In through the center of the chest. I am whole. Out through the center of the chest, I am wholeness. And continue that pattern at your own own pace for a few moments here. Claiming wholeness from where you are and as you are as a way of rejecting the narratives of extraction and commodification. That feed into hyper-capitalism and always keep us striving and imbalanced. Instead, breathing in, I am whole. Breathing out, I am wholeness. And perhaps, as Thich Nhat Hanh has often taught, you take a soft smile to your lips, gently turning the corners of your mouth up towards your cheeks if that feels aligned for you. Breathing and smiling is a practice for simplicity and presence that Thich Nhat Hanh often taught, He called the smiling face yoga, using the muscles of our face to send a signal to the brain and body that there is joy and contentment and peace in the moment. So we send that signal as a way of affirming this idea that we are whole as we are right now, and we are wholeness. Breathing and smiling, inhaling, I am whole. Exhaling, I am wholeness. Inhaling, I am whole. Exhaling, I am wholeness. Take a few more breaths like that. An invitation. Maybe two or three final breaths. Breathing in, I am whole. Breathing out, I am wholeness. And then as you're ready, release that mantra and come back to simple observation. Noticing how you feel, having just used your mind, your body, and your breath to send signals to yourself that... There is abundance in this moment right now. True abundance, not wealth to be hoarded, but an abundance of peace, contentment, and wholeness. So Notice how and if you receive that in your awareness of yourself in the moment right now. And we'll close this practice with three clearing breaths. Sighing is symbolically a practice of clearing. So I'll invite you to imagine we could clear some of the some of the stickiness of hypercapitalism that makes us feel like we must be commodities to be worthy. We can just clear that out with the breath. So I'll invite you to take an inhale through your nose, then consider sighing through your mouth. We'll do that twice more. One more time. Then as you're ready, you can begin to blink your eyes open, to move your body around, to do what you need to do to return to the world around you but I'll invite you to still keep some sensory perception on the feeling of the world within you. It doesn't just go away when we open our eyes. We just have to do the dance between the two. And this internal wholeness that you have affirmed for yourself is a radical anti-capitalist tool in making the world more whole rather than seeing it as a commodity to be extracted from. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Lara Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.